Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course podcast from the University of Minnesota. This episode is adapted from a webinar that aired on February 28, 2017. The podcast discusses feedback and coaching in the context of the University of Minnesota. For more information and resources, visit supervising.umn.edu and explore Module 1 on Feedback and Coaching. Welcome, everybody. This is Christina McGuire from Leadership and Talent Development in the Office of Human Resources. I'd like to welcome you to today's session, Feedback and Coaching. We have two wonderful presenters today, Amanda Wolfred, a consultant in Leadership and Talent Development, and Dr. Brandon Sullivan, the Senior Director of Leadership and Talent Development. Thank you, Christina, for getting us started, and thanks to everyone who is listening today. We have some exciting information to share with you that was developed within Leadership and Talent Development and is based on social science and practice, which means it's really cool stuff that works and is tailored specifically to the university. We feel that this is really what sets this program apart from many of the resources you would normally come across. Today, our topic is feedback and coaching. And to get started, we're going to launch and take a moment for our first poll. We're looking at some of the challenges you've experienced as a supervisor. A productive employee becoming bored and complacent. A talented employee takes a job elsewhere. Helping struggling employees to improve or selecting appropriate assignments to help employee development. So go ahead and select all that apply. So we have 443 participants, that is so exciting. Okay, it looks like it's all over the board and that's pretty understandable because some of these challenges you've all experienced and that's okay. It looks like the majority of folks are helping to struggle or helping struggling employees to improve. And so also selecting appropriate assignments. So that's that's kind of good that you've had that, that challenge because we actually have some resources to help you with those situations. And so while the struggle is real, we're here to give you that information and address those challenges because we want you to help your employees be their best selves. So thanks for providing us with that quick data. And we also have some employee engagement data to share. And I'm actually going to turn it over to Brandon, who is going to walk through that with you. Thanks, Amanda. Well, ideally, everyone would experience regular feedback and coaching for development. So you may be wondering how we're doing here at the university in general. Well, we have a little bit of data from the engagement survey that you can see here. Uh, this shows responses from about 13,000 employees to the 2015 engagement survey. Um, we have questions on clear and regular feedback and receiving coaching for development. Uh, so you can see that there is a lot of clear and regular feedback happening, as well as coaching, uh, but that some people are being left out of this. Uh, as you can see, 53% of faculty and 67% of staff said they received clear and regular feedback, which is great. If you do the math, though, it turns out that about 1,200 faculty and 3,000 staff who responded to the survey said they didn't get regular feedback, and about half said they don't receive coaching for development. And even those that receive feedback or coaching, one question is, is it really working? Uh, is it effective? Is it just a formality? Effective feedback and coaching are very powerful drivers of performance and retention. So how do you make your feedback and coaching effective? The first step is to be sure that you are intentionally focusing your feedback where it is needed most. And that's our first topic for today. It falls in line with assessing performance, potential, and readiness. In order for your feedback and coaching to be focused where it is needed most, it's very important to distinguish between three foundational concepts, performance, 
potential, and readiness. As supervisors, it can be very easy to mix these up, but when we do, our efforts to support someone's development simply won't work, resulting in frustration for everyone. We're all familiar with the term performance, a word we hear at least once a year, hopefully more than that. Um, but what is performance? Well, performance refers to a person's effectiveness in achieving the goals and meeting the expectations of their current role. For most roles, two important indicators of performance are results and behaviors. These are often referred to as the what and the how of performance. So typically, when we think about performance, we think about things like delivers results on time or delivers quality work. The how is often harder to measure and therefore is often overlooked. But how someone achieves their goals and delivers results is an important part of their performance. It also has a big impact on their ability to reach their goals in the future. Take Sarah, for example. Sarah is an educational technologist and has been in her role for two years. Over the course of the last two years, Sarah has consistently met all of her goals and objectives, which involve providing support to faculty in her college in designing, improving, and updating course websites and helping them to use new academic tools and methods. In addition to delivering strong results, Sarah also works well with her colleagues and productively resolves disagreements with others. So Sarah is someone who demonstrates both indicators of performance. She gets results, which is the what of performance, and she does so in an effective way. This is the how of performance. The second foundational concept is potential. Potential refers to a person's capacity to eventually develop the skills needed for a larger role. A very common mistake is to confuse performance and potential. Many supervisors do this. It's, it's easy to do. But they're not the same thing. Research has found that in many organizations, at most 30% of top performers also have the potential to succeed in a larger role. In other words, past performance may not be a good indicator that someone can succeed with more complex work. Now let's turn back to Sarah. In addition to high performance in her day-to-day -day work, Sarah has also come up with creative ideas for how her college might use a new tool to improve the student experience of navigating course websites. Sarah's ideas are being explored by her supervisor and a group of faculty interested in trying the new tool. Sarah asks to be part of designing and implementing the pilot. When something goes wrong, Sarah is quick to focus on how to resolve the problem, no matter how difficult that may be. She reflects on her mistakes and learns from them. So Sarah demonstrates many of the indicators of potential. She has the ability to solve complex problems, she's persistent, she's motivated, and she improves based on feedback. In other words, Sarah will likely increase her skills over time, possibly to the point where she will be ready for a larger role at some point in the future. Finally, the third foundational concept is readiness. Readiness refers to the degree to which someone has already acquired the skills, knowledge, and abilities needed for a new role. Someone who is ready for a new role has already developed the skills for that role. Readiness is what you assess when deciding whether to hire or promote someone or who to put in charge of a new project. Our colleague Sarah has performed well in her job as an educational technologist and shows signs of potential to increase her skills. So what about her level of readiness? Well, let's fast forward three years. With support and guidance from her supervisor, Sarah has now increased her skills and is seen as a leader among her peers and a trusted colleague to the faculty in her college. 
the university recently began planning for the implementation of a new learning management system. And Sarah's college needs someone to lead this effort within the college. So the question is, is Sarah ready to take on this role? Does she have the skills that she needs? It sounds like it. If you can distinguish between performance, potential, and readiness, your feedback and coaching will be focused where it is needed most, and everyone will be more engaged and productive. Your next step is to apply these tools. To help you do this, we created a simple two-page handout that guides you through how to provide effective feedback and coaching tailored to the individual's current level of performance and potential. You can access this handout and others when you explore the course site. We'll give you the address to this site at the end of the webinar. So to sum up this section, performance refers to a person's effectiveness in achieving the goals and meeting the expectations in their current role. Potential is their capacity to eventually develop the skills needed for a larger role. And readiness is whether they have the skills, knowledge, and abilities needed for a new role or more complex assignment. Approaching feedback and coaching from this angle may be new for many of you, so we created a few other resources to help you get familiar with the concepts and, more importantly, to practice them. So at this point, if you have any questions on the content that Brandon just ran through, anything you're finding confusing, any concepts that you want to clarify, go ahead and submit them into the Q&A. There's another question that came through, and this is a this good one that many of you may be wondering. Uh, it, it's is this PPR assessment being used university wide? And um, we're providing these tools uh, for you to use. They're not uh, mandatory uh, for anybody, but they are tools that we have found are are very helpful in. Um, coaching and feedback. They're based on research and best practice, uh, and we've tailored them so that they should fit uh, kind of the language and the culture here at the university. So they are free free for you to use uh, university-wide, but you're not uh, required by us uh, to, to use them, but we hope that you will. And there was another question on how can I know that I'm accurately assessing employee levels on PPR? And I love that folks are using the acronym PPR because that's what we've been calling it since we developed it in the last couple of months. So as I mentioned, the handout that you'll find on the course site will guide you through on how to assess. And we do have an actual grid that you can look at. Brandon is going to go ahead and give you a little more information on the course. So uh, at the, the website that we'll reveal at the end of the webinar, we've prepared introductory videos, printable quick guides, scenarios, and quizzes for you to explore. Uh, and these are all ways for you to kind of work with this information and practice it and, and, and kind of interact with it, which is the best way to learn it. Um, to help you uh, do all of this, one of the things we did is created five realistic scenarios to give you the opportunity for practice, all completely online. So if you remember Sarah that we were just talking about a few minutes ago, there are five other people waiting online to help you practice your skills. Each of these scenarios presents you with detailed information about a hypothetical employee, you then apply what you've learned through a series of questions, followed by immediate feedback uh, to help you learn uh, and improve. So now that you're more familiar with the first step of assessing performance and potential, you'll know where to focus your feedback. Providing ongoing feedback and coaching may seem daunting. Uh, you know it's important, but knowing where to start can feel overwhelming. The key is to focus your efforts where they're needed most, based on an individual's performance, potential, and readiness. With that, we'll jump into the feedback content. I'm going to turn it back over to Amanda. Thank you, Brandon. And we actually have our second poll that we'd like you to answer. 
uh, around your fears around giving feedback. So select all that apply. What are your fears? Is it awkward? You're afraid of upsetting the person. You're afraid your emotions will get in the way or perhaps you don't know the best time to give feedback. So the results are in and it appears, and it's not surprising here in the state of Minnesota, Minnesota Nice, that giving feedback, our fear is upsetting the person. And the second top answer was it's awkward. So yes, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people feel about giving feedback. And it can feel overwhelming and it can feel awkward. However, there are so many benefits. Most people genuinely want to know how they're doing because otherwise, if you're not giving feedback, it can be detrimental to your overall team's effectiveness. And that is something you definitely don't want. So before we move on any further, I just want to check in with all of you. You might be thinking that assessing performance potential and readiness to focus feedback sounds like a lot of work. But the good news is you're probably already doing a lot of what we've talked about. So it's just about being more aware and focusing on the right things. So let's look at how you can focus your feedback and coaching once you've obsessed, uh, excuse me, you've obsessed performance potential and readiness. So being a supervisor here at the university, you are expected to provide effective regular feedback because it helps others modify their behavior. And that in turn improves their learning and performance. And that leads to more productive teams. Sounds ideal, right? If you're a faculty member, you may have signed up for the Monday Motivator emails from the National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity. This is a resource available to university faculty. And so just yesterday, the Monday Motivator stated, we all need consistent feedback from ourselves and others. And the reality of academic life is that you don't proactively, if you don't proactively create feedback loops, you're unlikely to get the type of information you need to take control of your work life, teach efficiently and well, and enjoy the job you've worked so long and hard to obtain. So the key message there is proactively creating feedback loops. Feedback is also an important part of coaching people in their development. So we're going to talk about coaching in a moment, but first we have a very easy framework for you for giving feedback. And the framework is as easy as get ready, get set, go, or in this case, give feedback. So as you get ready to give feedback, think about laying the groundwork first. This will increase the chances that your feedback will be effective, heard, and understood. Laying the groundwork means being intentional and thinking about your biases. Do you have higher standards for one employee in comparison with another? Does an employee get a pass because you've worked with them for a long time? These are just a few examples of common biases. So you'll want to take a look at what biases you might be experiencing. And then think about where you're going to be giving the feedback. Because you'll need to consider what the person needs for the conversation to be comfortable. Because when people feel safe, they will be open and honest and then more likely to hear what you have to say. So the next step is getting set. So getting set to give feedback is taking a step back and asking yourself if it's a good time for feedback. Just telling someone won't necessarily make them change. So think about how effective the feedback will be. So for example, if someone's in the middle of solving a problem or is just trying to figure something out, you'll want to wait. 
Otherwise, it could be a, just an interruption and distraction. And the look on this man's face might be a good indicator that it's not a good time. Getting set also involves determining whether someone is familiar with a task or will they have another opportunity to practice. So when you get ready and get set, it'll make giving feedback that much easier, which leads us to giving the feedback. So as a best practice, you'll want to formulate your feedback by describing the situation, behavior, and impact of the behavior. You'll want to make sure that the person heard and understands what you're saying and always connect feedback to their goals. And also be specific because if you cover too many things at once, it can also be very distracting for the person. So here's an example. Let's say you're Alex's supervisor. You put Alex in charge of leading a project aimed at simplifying a burdensome budgeting process in your college. A task force previously identified several ways to simplify them. And now Alex has assembled a group from across the college to identify which solution is best and implement that solution. So in the first meeting, Alex starts by sharing his opinion about which solution is best and hands out a timeline for the project and roles and responsibilities. After the meeting, you receive a flurry of emails from the department chairs who are confused and concerned. Upon digging in, you realize that the problem stemmed from Alex not explaining the purpose of the project, not providing any background or context, and trying to push for his ideas without seeking input or discussion first. So as a result, the group members were confused, irritated, and expressed this to their department chairs. So the next step on getting the project back on track is for you, Alex's supervisor, to give him feedback. So remember, feedback involves describing the situation, the person's behavior, and the impact of that behavior. So in this case, you could say to Alex, hey, Alex, in the project team meeting yesterday, you shared your opinion and dove into the implementation plan before you had explained the purpose and context for the project. As a result, people are confused about why you were asking them to do this and frustrated that you didn't ask them for their perspectives. So once Alex understands your feedback and sees how it connects to his goals, the next step is for you to provide coaching to Alex to help him improve his ability to provide context, active listening, and to persuade others to support his efforts. Skills such as active listening and influence do not come easily for most people. But having these skills would help Alex become more effective. And one way to get him there is coaching. So to sum up, by assessing performance, potential, and readiness, you will know where to focus your feedback. By getting ready, getting set, and giving feedback, coaching helps people apply the feedback that they've received. So again, at this point, go ahead and submit any questions on this content that we've covered so far, so that would be PPR and feedback. Again, anything you're finding confusing, clarifications, and we'll go ahead and answer some of those questions now and save the rest for later. So there's one question that I think is a really good one that comes up a lot, and we'll actually get into this a little bit when we talk about coaching, which is next, but a question around kind of being able to receive feedback. What if people aren't able to receive feedback or open to feedback? And that's something that is very common. It's one of the reasons it's so difficult for supervisors to give feedback. Um, and we don't, you know, as the, the question sort of uh, mentioned, we don't grow up practicing receiving feedback very often. 
um, at least not in the context of work. You know, if you think about taking a class, for example, or as a, a teacher, if you teach class, you're giving feedback or receiving feedback for a student all the time, but it's different in the context of supervision sometimes. Uh, and so that's why it is very, very important uh, that people practice receiving feedback and being open to feedback. As you'll see in a few minutes, uh, you really can't develop and grow and learn unless you are open to feedback. As a supervisor, there are things that you can do to make feedback um, kind of easier to hear. You can help create a situation that's going to be more comfortable and feel safer for someone to hear feedback. Um, but it is also the responsibility of the person receiving the feedback to be open to it. It's a really important point. There's a question here asking, how do you find out if they understand? And so the best way to do that is to have them reiterate what you've said. So, you know, you could give some feedback and then say, please repeat and let me know that you understand what I'm asking. And then you can create an action plan together. So it's not just telling someone feedback. It's also making sure they understand, have them reiterate and then create that action plan together. So there's one question here uh, about giving feedback in situations where you haven't observed it firsthand. And that's going to be real common uh, for supervisors where you may sort of get feedback from someone else or uh, you hear a debrief of a meeting that didn't go well or maybe it went very well. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be negative feedback. Um, and, you know, that's that's one where it's still, you know, you really want to focus on the, the situation that happened the specific behaviors that you heard about or that the person is reporting on and then what impact that had. Um, so you can still give feedback and you can still talk about feedback. If you didn't observe it firsthand, uh, then it's going to be particularly important to listen to, as it always is, but particularly in this case, to listen to what the person is saying and, um, you know, anything that maybe you heard that they have a different perspective on um, so that you're, you're, you know, really trying to get to the objective, what actually happened uh, so that you can coach them on that behavior. So you don't want to shy away from it uh, if you didn't observe it firsthand, but it, it does uh, add a level of complexity to it. And I'll answer one final question, and it's a great one. Is it reasonable to assume feedback is a two-way conversation? Absolutely. It should be a two-way conversation. And that's what the Monday Motivator gets at, is creating those feedback loops. So not only we as individuals need to be giving feedback, we also need to be asking for feedback. So that's another theme that in leadership and talent development, we've been focusing on creating a culture of feedback in which people not only give feedback, but they also ask for it. So there'll be more resources in the near future on that too. So thank you everybody for your questions. So we're gonna move on to coaching because once you assess PPR, performance potential and readiness, and you focus your feedback, then feedback goes in line with coaching. And so with coaching, you can help the person then implement the feedback that you just gave them. So we have our very own homegrown definition of coaching, and that is by Dr. David Peterson, who received his Ph.D. from our psychology department, and he's now the director of executive coaching and leadership at Google. So he defined coaching as equipping people with the tools, knowledge, and opportunities they need to develop themselves and become more effective. So there are, are several key components to ensure effective coaching. And those components are listed here, self-awareness, motivation, ongoing feedback and support, application, and accountability. So before we dive into what each of those means, we have our final quick poll for you to answer. 
So from the coaching components listed, which do you think need to be present first for coaching to be effective? And the answers are in. This is great. So the majority of you said self-awareness. And so I do want to say that all of these are important for coaching to be effective, every single one of them. However, the first two, self-awareness and motivation, are going to be the most important to be present before coaching can be absorbed and can be effective. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Brandon, who is going to talk to you about each of these components. Great. Thanks, Amanda. So as, as we mentioned uh, just now in the quiz, the coaching process begins with self-awareness and motivation. Once those are in place, it's all about ongoing feedback and support, just like the feedback loops from the Monday Motivator email that we mentioned earlier. So this is where the process becomes cyclical. Uh, feedback and support are ongoing, not just a one-time or even an occasional thing. It's really part of your day-to-day -day work to help people develop the skills they need to learn and grow. In fact, maintaining ongoing cycles of feedback and support is one of the most important things that you can do as a supervisor. The cycle of new skill training, practice opportunities, assessment, and reflection is at the heart of development, whether you are an assistant professor, a financial analyst, a lab technician, or supervisor. So let's take a little bit of a closer look at each component of the process so you can get a little bit of an idea how to use it. First, does the person have the self-awareness to learn from coaching? Are they aware of their strengths and opportunities, or do they get defensive when asked about them? Can the person describe how others perceive them? If the answer is no to most of these questions, encourage them to get feedback from their peers and help them assess their areas of strength and opportunities. If the answer is yes, then development coaching can be effective, especially when an individual can discuss these issues without getting defensive. Motivation is characterized by that passion or fire to make a change, hence the icon. So when a person is motivated to change, coaching efforts are likely to succeed for both you and the individual. When someone is hardworking and is willing to put time and effort into growing skills and performance, it's a good sign that they are motivated. When self-awareness and motivation are present, then it's up to you, the supervisor, to coach and mentor your direct reports through ongoing feedback and support. Research shows that there are four types of tools that coaches can use to help employees achieve their goals, which include developing new skills, offering practice opportunities like role-playing or rehearsing new behaviors, uh, formally or informally assessing the person's performance to identify opportunities for growth, and finally, opportunities for reflection. For each of these tools to work, they must be accompanied by ongoing feedback and support. The key is being intentional and creative about connecting the person with the resources available and helping them to see how the new skills will benefit their work. Providing opportunities to practice and master skills is the next step in coaching. Will the person be able to apply the learning on the job? How can the person apply new and improved skills through day-to-day -day work? What special projects or assignments will allow an opportunity for them to practice? How can they ensure they have room for making some mistakes as they practice and learn? Finally, supporting an employee in their development includes recognizing improvement, rewarding success, and holding them accountable if improvement does not take place. For an individual, consider what incentives might be meaningful for them. Do they prefer public recognition, maybe a simple thank you, 
Are they looking for promotional or leadership opportunities? What are the consequences if they do not improve and develop? So what is the overall purpose of coaching? Well, to boil it down, it's really about sustained growth. Growth for you as a supervisor, the individuals on your team, and ultimately the university. Because if we're not growing, we're not doing anyone any favors. Equipping your team with the tools, knowledge, and opportunities they need to develop themselves and become more effective is not an easy task, but it is a key part of being a successful supervisor. It's almost time to reveal the supervisory development website, but let's recap what we've talked about today. Feedback and coaching are at the heart of being an effective supervisor. It is how you support current performance, develop potential, and ensure that people are ready for new roles and challenging assignments. The three keys to becoming a more effective supervisor include assessing performance, potential, and readiness, preparing for and delivering effective feedback, and incorporating coaching into your day-to-day -day work. Finding time to develop your leadership skills and the skills of others can definitely be challenging. Knowing that, we've built this flexible supervisory development program with you in mind. Yeah, so again, lots of great questions have been coming in, so we'll pause to answer a few of those. Anything, I'm getting, seeing a lot of questions about performance issues, and so when we talk about that, that is definitely something that you'll want to consult with an HR lead on. We are focused here in this webinar on development coaching. So the other way that I would answer if someone's having performance problems is we have some resources on the, in the course website that will show you how to address performance. Because again, you always start with assessing performance and then potential and readiness. So if someone is not performing well, then you obviously don't move to potential or readiness. So there are some great resources out there for you to look at to address some of that performance issues that you're having. And go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, here's a, a good question uh, about uh, what if an employee lacks self-awareness? Uh, how should they go about getting input from, uh, from their peers and from others? Uh, because that is a good idea uh, to do that. They shouldn't just be hearing feedback from you. Um, and as a, another question pointed out, a lot of people, a lot of us aren't practiced in asking for feedback. Um, so there are, there are lots of ways to, to go about it. I would say the important part is focusing on what are those behaviors that are important for success in the role. So what are the things that the person should be doing to be successful? Uh, and then identifying what those are, and you can help them with that. Um, sometimes you may even have a competency model, you know, behavioral competencies that describe what success looks like for them in their role. If you don't, you can still sit down and, and, and put that together with them. Um, and then have them uh, talk with some peers. Uh, you know, a conversation is one way to do it. Uh, there are also survey tools that you can use where you maybe would have uh, people that they work with rate them on uh, the behaviors that they're uh, trying to demonstrate. Um, you can do more qualitative sorts of surveys or, you know, anonymous questionnaires, that kind of thing. Um, the important part is that it's really focused on the behaviors that they need to be successful uh, and getting a broad range of, uh, array of feedback. Uh, that's that tends to be the most helpful approach. There's also some questions on what is an ideal ratio between positive versus negative feedback. <clears throat> and so what I would say about that is for sure, you don't want to fall into the feedback sandwich where you give positive feedback and you put the negative feedback in the middle and then you follow it up with positive because the person will definitely sniff out the negative feedback and then focus on that. So the course website does have 
videos that you can watch that reiterates a lot of this information that we're sharing today. And we also have other handouts and scenarios, quizzes. So I just wanted to point out, though, that that was a great question to ask. There's several questions that I've seen that kind of get at the theme of defensiveness and, and how do you address defensiveness? This is a real challenge, and this is one of the biggest challenges in, in giving feedback well, and receiving it, too. Um, we all get defensive when people start pointing out things that we're not doing well. And, you know, there are a number of, of ways you can approach this. There's uh, something uh, out there called Feed Forward, uh, some of you may have heard of, and it gets at the idea that it, it really triggers defensiveness when you're essentially pointing out what someone isn't doing well. Uh, or you're kind of being critical, just maybe in an objective way of the way someone uh, did something in the past, kind of focused on past behavior. Um, it, it can help to think more about the future and suggesting, here's what you could do next time. Um, here's what success would look like. Um, giving people suggestions for how they might effectively handle a situation um, uh, going forward. So it, it, you can't always break through the defensiveness. But generally speaking, if you focus more on the future, you focus more on here's what would work well um, rather than here's what you did wrong. Um, and, and you sometimes have to point that out, uh, what someone did wrong. But it, that's one way of kind of addressing it. You know, the other thing is that uh, giving feedback about defensiveness uh, can be really hard to do, but is really important. If someone has a pattern of always sort of saying, oh, yes, but, or, well, it, okay, it wasn't my fault. Here's a million reasons why it wasn't my fault, what happened. And you know that, yeah, they had some responsibility for what happened, and you're trying to give them some feedback to help them improve. Um, eventually, giving them feedback about that pattern, gosh, when we talk about things, uh, when I'm trying to give you feedback to help you get better, you seem to you know, get defensive and, and talking a little bit about where that's coming from, maybe something um, you know, that they're worried about. Um, it may be a way you're delivering the feedback. It could be a, a number of things. But addressing that issue specifically uh, as an element of feedback and coaching can be very helpful. Great. And just some folks are clarifying that with the poll question, what would you need to be present first in the coaching process for effective coaching? Self-awareness and motivation of the coachee. So the person that you are trying to coach would absolutely need to have that self-awareness and motivation. So thank you for clarifying that. So we're going to move on so we don't run out of time. And so finally, it is time for the big reveal. So here is your URL, supervising.umn.edu. So this course is completely online. It's available 24-7 for you to reference whenever you need to. So you don't need to register. You don't need a password. It's open to everyone. So even if people weren't able to make today's webinar, they can still access the course by just typing in the URL. So again, on the site, you will find short videos that explain more in depth on performance, potential readiness, feedback, and coaching. So this is a webinar. This is just meant to give you a flavor of what we have out on the course for you. There are also quick guides that will help you apply the concepts in your day-to-day -day work. There are quizzes to help you learn. And again, one of the best ways to learn new skills is to practice, just like Brandon talked about in that coaching process. So we designed this site for you. We hope you'll go and explore. So with that, we will start the final round of the Q&A portion. So I'll turn it over to Christina, who's going to facilitate the Q&A. Thank you, Amanda. 
Um, please continue to send in your questions. We do have a lot that have been coming in um, since the beginning of the webinar, um, but please continue to use that Q&A feature to submit your questions. And as Amanda mentioned, um, there's also that um, opportunity as you get into the supervising.umn.edu um, site as well. Um, Brandon, it sounds like you have a question that you want to. Yeah, I answer. saw this question came in earlier, and it's a it's a really good one, and many of you may be thinking of this, so I just wanted to address it. Um, and it, it essentially asked, um, so if I'm you know if I'm a supervisor, am I not doing my job if I'm not always developing people's potential and helping them move out of their current role? And um, the answer to that is is no, you're not a bad supervisor if you don't do that. But um, the the truth of the matter is that if someone, you know, a piece of potential is how intra what people's goals are, what do they want to achieve? And so if someone is motivated and their goals are to achieve uh, something beyond their current role, um, we know from a lot of research and experience that if their current supervisor isn't supporting them in that, eventually they're going to leave on their own. Um, and so the best thing that you can do is help people explore their goals. Um, and, and, you know, part of it's on them as well. Some people have a lot of potential, but they're not necessarily, you know, motivated to pursue that potential at this point in time. Lots of things can impact that. Um, and so, you know, generally as a supervisor, your, your job is to help assess the level of potential, um, have conversations with an employee about their goals and what they want to achieve, and then you know help support them in in developing uh, towards the next level if that's something that they're interested in. And not everybody is. Um, another question or a couple of questions came in um, in relation to the coaching process um, about this. How do you suggest or how do you encourage an employee who lacks self awareness and motivation um, to increase their self-awareness and motivation um, and how how do you go about doing that or how do you you get that information from peers or are there other ways for an employee to gather or solicit that information um, without asking them to ask their peers well er, earlier I, I mentioned a few strategies that are used you know some organizations have something like peer feedback where they actually formally send out surveys to uh, some of the the people that uh, an employee works with to get feedback uh, and then that maybe gets incorporated into a development plan or even a performance review process um, you know self-awareness is is really pivotal and if someone is really not demonstrating a lot of self-awareness some of it is on them. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, you, you can do a lot as a supervisor to encourage people to uh, seek out good feedback. You can challenge some of their assumptions. You can push back a little bit, maybe on their impressions of how well they did and something. Um, you know, and, and actually, you can also kind of assuming the negative. Um, there are plenty of people who um, aren't aware how great they are. <laughs> um, and so sometimes it's a matter of, you know, just really having a discussion about what are the what does success look like in your role? And um, what does that look like behaviorally? What are the results that are expected in your role? And where does this employee fall with respect to that? Maybe they're vastly underestimating their, uh, their abilities or maybe they're overestimating their abilities. But it's really about focusing on those behaviors and getting information on how well they're doing, whether it's from peers, whether it's from, um, you know, you, from others. Um, a lot of times if someone is just simply not open to getting feedback, there's only so much that, that you can do. Um, there are some questions, too, um, about um, 
the idea of being young, relatively new to the department and dealing with um, motivating people and making sure that you leverage experience to coach and to really bring that into um, the workplace situation. So kind of as a new supervisor, how to really leverage the experience and expertise of others that um, have been there a while. Well, that's a good question. And I think um, that's not unique just to new supervisors. Uh, anyone coming into a new department or a new uh, unit or a new organization, um, there are going to be things that you don't know. Um, and so a lot of it is really about, uh, I think, a couple things. Active listening. Um, it's something that when we come into a new leadership role, often we're trying to make our mark um, and prove that we are competent and we know what we're doing. Um, so sometimes we maybe aren't listening as much as we could. Uh, so it's, it's a balancing act there, but part of it is just making sure that, that you are listening uh, and not, not you know, talking too much at first until you really know uh, what people have to offer. And some people, you know, particularly people who um, you know, are more introverted, they may not openly share their ideas uh, with you. So some of it might be making sure that you're, um, you know, drawing out ideas and, and experience from people who are more quiet. So especially if you're someone who's very extroverted, very talkative, uh, something to think about. You know, the other is to seek out people who have more experience, uh, either years of experience or maybe more experience with a department or with an issue than you and bring them some of the challenges and problems and questions that you have and kind of seek their counsel and advice. You don't have to take it, um, but it's a way of learning and kind of challenging your assumptions uh, about how things are working. And just to piggyback on what Brandon said, it's with the active listening, it is absolutely all about just making sure that people are heard. Because again, if you're a new supervisor and you just come in and just take charge and don't get input from other people, then they might have a harder time buying in to you as a new supervisor. So just taking that time to assess the environment of the new team. And thanks for your time, attention, and attending. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore the feedback and coaching resources on the supervising.umn.edu site. There, you'll find videos, guides, and more to help you assess performance, potential, and readiness, give feedback, and be a better coach. The Supervisory Development Course podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions or would like to reach out, please email us at ltd at umn.edu.